Hello, and welcome to the Built Different Podcast with Zach Clinton. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. While there, you can join in the conversation about this show. Just search for Built Different Podcast in your internet browser. Here now is your host, Zach Clinton, on this edition of the Built Different Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Built Different Podcast. Man, I hope you guys had a blessed weekend. I hope you guys are ready for another exceptional interview today with another unbelievable athlete that's on the docket and Mr. Billy Wagner. Guys, today's episode is all built around a question. And that question is, what is it that separates those that are good from those that are great? You know, at some point in time, the higher you go in athletics, the smaller or the tighter the skill gap gets. I mean, the skill gap just eventually closes. Because pretty much, I mean, when you think of college athletics, pretty much everybody at that level is good, right? And then if you make it to the professional level, you know for sure that everybody's good. I mean, these people that are getting drafted, they all had incredible statistics. They all performed extremely well at the high school and collegiate level. They can all play, right? So what is it that's going to separate you? I remember during my playing days at Liberty University, I was coming out of high school, right? And I was a pretty good high school baseball player. I was excited for the opportunity to be there at Liberty, uh, to pitch, to play second base, being able to hopefully play two ways, which we all know, and that's not how my career ended. I was a PO, but going there, I was all excited uh, about this opportunity. And as we're sitting down in our first team meeting, which was a Sunday, Coach Jim Toman stands up in front of our entire team, right? And so when I walk in, I see all these just monster guys. I think of, you know, Alex Close and Carson Herndon and Caleb Evans and Nate Blaylock and these dudes, Parker Bean, these guys are massive. And I'm thinking to myself, what in the world am I doing in here? I weighed about a buck fifty-five soaking wet and I'm sitting down, right? But I knew I was pretty good. Right. So Coach Toman, he comes in, he addresses the team, he asks us, you know, hey everybody, I want you to stand if you were first team all conference. And so, you know, being an incoming freshman, I had to show off my stuff to the older guys, and I stand up and look around the room, and every single person in the room was standing. We all sit back down. Coach Thoma says, hey, I want you to stand if you were first team all state. And then I'm like, okay, surely not everybody's going to be that. So I stand up trying to show off my stuff to the older guys again. Once you know, every single person in the room stood up again. Then he tells us to sit back down. And this process goes on and on to the most elite accolades you can receive in high school or any of these other recognitions. But every single person in the room and on our team all received the same things. And I'll never forget Coach Toman. He looked at us, had everybody sit down finally and said, you see, guys, everybody in the room is talented. Everyone in this room can flat out play. You're all here for a specific reason, but it's your job to figure out how you're going to separate yourself and be something great. And that stuck with me because at the end of the day, it's something that's so much more than talent. And I think of things like the intangible, such as work ethic, right? Derek Jeter, nobody's going to outwork me. That mindset of going in and Every single day, whether it's at practice, whether it's at drills, lifting, conditioning, games, you're working your ever-living butt off because when your moment comes, you want to be ready and you want to be prepared for those moments. So it's the work ethic. It's the determination. It's the persistence. It's when tough times come. Tough times come not only in athletics but in life. And that mindset that our theme is in this podcast is you're never out of the fight. Right? You gotta stay in the fight. You gotta want it. You gotta have the drive and you gotta be a dog. You gotta be able to face adversity and want it more than anybody else. And it's that level of the want or the desire to be great just as much as it is the talent. I know so many people that are extremely talented, but they get passed up by those that maybe even Don't even have as much talent, but have a greater drive or desire or passion to do something greater. As I said, our guest for today is Mr. Billy Wagner. 
I'm telling you guys, Mr. Billy is one of the greatest pitchers of all time, not only when it comes to college baseball, as he was inducted into the National College Baseball Hall of Fame a few years back, just setting some ridiculous video game-like numbers, but he's also one of the most decorated and greatest Major League Baseball relief pitchers of all time as well. I mean, when I think of two of the best guys, I think of Billy Wagner and Mariano, right? Those are the two names that really come to mind for me. Maybe Trevor Hoffman, too. But I'm telling you, Billy is a guy that has a story unlike any I've ever heard, right? He was right-handed at a very young age. He broke his right arm twice before the age of seven and taught himself how to throw left-handed and somehow... Obviously, the Lord played a huge integral role into this, but somehow was throwing up to 98 to 100 mile an hour with his left hand, and he wasn't even left-handed. So tell me how that works. Tell me the persistency and the dedication. And I just want to read this real quick to you. This is coming from a guy by the name of Dr. Eugene Charles. There was this big interview done on Billy Wagner through MLB.com a few years back. And Dr. Eugene Charles is a New York City kinesiologist. He was asked, do we all have the ability to do what Billy Wagner did when it comes to being able to throw now left-handed when he was specifically right? And his response was this, everyone can do it. But where Billy deserves all the credit is that he had the discipline and determination to do it. That's the caveat. You have to have his discipline and persistence. It's the X factor. My friends, stay devoted, stay disciplined, stay persistent. No matter what life is throwing at you, no matter what your playing career as athletes, whatever it is, may be throwing at you, stay driven and be built different because you are. Guys, that interview with Mr. Billy Wagner will be coming up right after this short break. We'll be right back with more after this. Imagine joining thousands of men, fathers, sons, and Christ followers coming together to worship God and learn more about the life of true adventure God intends for us. Hi, this is Jessica, producer for the Built Different podcast with Zach Clinton. I'm here to tell you that Ignite Men's Impact Weekend is coming August 13th and 14th at Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Scheduled speakers include baseball legend, author, and speaker, Daryl Strawberry, internationally claimed speaker, Rick Rigsby, author, pastor, and speaker, Ted Cunningham, president of the American Association of Christian Counselors, Dr. Tim Clinton, as well as Zach Clinton, host of the Built Different podcast, and so many more soon to be announced. Also, you can experience the Extreme Outdoor Expo and Kids Zone, two dozen workshops with the stuff guys love, from fishing, hunting, football, and more. There are very limited spots available and this will sell out soon. Register now for extra savings until June 18th at ignitemen.net. That's ignitemen.net. Welcome back to the Built Different Podcast. Here's your host, Zach Clinton. Coach Billy, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, it's great to be here, Zach. Today, Coach, I really just wanted to dive into your story. And when I think of your story, it is a fairy tale like story, but you seriously lived it. And man, I just can't wait to begin going back all the way to your childhood. You're growing up in Tannersville, Virginia. I mean, what was it like growing up there, your family life? And, sir, when did you first put a ball in your hand and fall in love with the game? Well, I think I grew up with. A ball in my hand. Uh, it was uh, it, it, that was just a natural thing. Our family, my uncles, my cousins, were always athletic, uh, and so you were always following those guys around. I was following my uncles to games that they were playing. My grandparents would take me to all my uncles' football games. My, right. my dad and uh, my dad played a little semi-pro ball, uh, hmm. just traveling like barnstorming a little bit. So I got to watch <laughs> him play. He was a pitcher, a catcher. Uh, player and I mean so you know I got I was around the game but it was so far-fetched to think about you know professional ball but uh, you know and my hometown is Marion Virginia and uh, when I was growing up I I moved around from uh, parent to parent grandparent to grandparent so finally I ended up being uh, pretty much through my high school years with my uh, aunt and uncle and uh, in Tannersville which 
unless you've been to Tannersville, it's really hard to describe because right. it is, uh, I don't want to say it's desolate, but I mean, if you watch the Andy Griffith show, you, you kind of get the idea, of, except um, it was a lot of that. Uh, we had, you know, a general store right. in which literally you, you, you made orders to like, I mean, if you wanted to order something from a store, you could go through that or you went down there and, and got milk. We were an hour from my high school. Wow. And we were an hour from the, the, the next closest town. So, yeah, we, we literally, uh, there's about 18 kids that lived in our, in Tannersville. And, you know, we always worked on a farm or they were dealing with horses. It was always uh, something to do with farm work. And so, hmm. and funny enough, the, the sheriff of Tazewell lived next to me. Uh, I worked on his farm, so I, I couldn't get into any trouble without him knowing all that. So, <laughs> uh, but you know, there were there was just open fields, and um, you know, I had one buddy to play with. That we and we played catch, played football, did all that stuff. But it was really, uh, I mean, it was I can't even remember how many people were out there. It was not many. Small town USA, huh? Yes, it was. And so, I mean, um, we had our own bus. Yeah. Um, one of the farmers would drive us during, during the year, and he would drive us to school and from school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we had practice, the county actually gave me and my cousin uh, a car, which one of the parents would drive us back from practice, hmm. which was an hour away. Yeah. I mean, so it, it, we'd put pillows and blankets on our, on the bus. We slept <laughs> on the bus. I mean, we'd take us an hour to get there. So you're, you're talking about getting up at 530. Wow on the bus at six and uh, traveling over the mountain to Man. get there. I mean, by the time you got there, I mean, it was, it was, it was a different, it was a different type. It was, uh, it was, it was different. Absolutely. Coach, you're a natural righty, but you break your arm twice before the age of seven. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, what's the mindset as a kid wanting to play, wanting to be on the field, but you're teaching yourself how to throw with your off hand, your left hand. What's that like? Well, young kids are resilient. Yeah. And so um, my family was nothing but sports. Right. Uh, so breaking a bone was not unusual. Hmm. So being involved and making sure that you were going to do something and be involved, was, right. it was just the, the second, you know, second nature. And so I believe, you know, for me, after I broke my arm the first time, you know, uh, it was just a normal, normal thing. And I was always undersized. So it didn't matter what I was doing. I was always playing with the old, bigger kids. So yeah. uh, even when the bigger kids were younger than me, they, they were, I mean, it was just, you know, I would just take my beatings. And so, hmm. you know, breaking my arm, it was, to me, it was one of those things you just, you know, obviously God had a huge purpose in my life by allowing me to be, you know, go from right hand to left hand. But I mean, the way it went about, I mean, there's so many ways I, I feel like uh, it could have went opposite as right. far as being hateful and angry. But, you know, the, it was just the resilience to say, I'm going to mm-hmm. play. And, and, you know, God gave me a very good uh, disposition to say, hey, I'm just going to play through it. Whatever happens, happens, you know. Yeah. you know. And so I was able to kind of go through that manner and not not sit back and complain and 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 our family was very blue collar so we complain was absolutely you're probably going to get beat down <laughs> and you were getting spankings and oh yeah all good things i mean you just couldn't do that and so uh, you know you had to move on and so that was you know that was uh really just a, a stepping stone in a and in, in something that really changed my life at that point mm, well man resiliency we're so glad you were resilient because it obviously worked out for you switching hands because you're going into high school i'm looking at some older interviews some stats you're clocking now in the low 80s in high school striking out numbers like 116 batters in 46 innings you're also hitting 451 at the plate come on now mlb pitcher hitting that well i mean <laughs> hey listen my assistant coach looked it up and in, in in minor league ball i hit 380 wow that's yeah, pretty was- good that's yeah, really good. It was crazy. So, uh, <laughs> but I wasn't very good. I really wasn't. I no. wasn't very good. Well, what were some of those high school years like for you when it comes to baseball? But also, you were a heck of a football player, is what I heard. I wouldn't say a heck of a football player. I was just <laughs> dumb enough to run into people. <laughs> and so, and, and I got in their way quite often. And so, yeah. I, you know, I broke my collar, collarbone my junior year in high school. Um, it, you know, I, my first love was football. Right. And it, that was, uh, and, uh, 
and I'd played little league and stuff like that, but it really got serious when I got into high school in my freshman year in which I moved in with my aunt and uh, uncle, Jack and Sally Lammy and my cousin who was an all American uh, football player. He strong, he was the free safety. He was uh, or defensive back punter kicker. He was just, wow. he, he was the guy that fell out of bed, got the 4.0. He, I mean, he was just that gifted, that kind of guy. And so, uh, so I was tagging along with him. And so my freshman year, I, I roll out there at a whopping 40, uh, four foot eight, 82 pounds. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm playing. And so I'm, you know, JV player. And so I'm just taking beat and scout team for the varsity. And they're just being, we end up winning the state championship wow. my freshman year. And so, you know, that was just, you know, oh my gosh, the, the, and that was the first time our school had ever won it. So right. everybody was in awe. And so everybody played football. And so, mm. you know, you're getting these huge numbers. So, you know, I went out and I was a terrible quarterback. <laughs> I was a quarterback by, by default, honestly, yeah. just because I was fast enough to get out of everybody's way to get, get away really. And, um, <laughs> but you know, my arm strength came from throwing the football and I right. could throw a football at the time harder than I could throw a baseball. Hmm. And it was just, you know, maturity. And I mean, you know, when you're being chased by lions, you, there's a lot of adrenaline that's involved. <laughs> and so that's right. I, I ended up, uh, but I enjoyed that. And then I went on the defensive side of the ball and, and played and, uh, you know, learned how to be physical. And, yeah. and when you're, when you're little, you just try to get in their way to triple. That's right. Much. Oh, I know that. Grab some shoelaces. Absolutely. And so, you know, I went to, I followed uh, my cousin over from, to Ferrum because uh, academically I was not able to carry the load for a a high D1. I'd had an offer for uh, Virginia Tech, right. and uh, which I would have probably never survived that. Hmm. In which, once again, I feel like God, push me in the right direction to say, Hey, you, you gotta go, you gotta go where you're going to be able to survive. And so I went to fair, played football to, I literally made the travel squad for fair because right. of one play and that we, it was like the last week before we, we started our season and uh, I go to play and, and they run this big toss sweep to me and I run and I really, the guy trip trips over me. I think I got hit by all three running backs and, uh, <laughs> They trip over me. I ended up with a concussion, a broke thumb, and, and a hyperextended knee. And the head coach, who was like just Hank Norton, who's one of the greatest coaches uh, in Virginia, right. he came up and he goes, anybody that'll take that type of beating for me, I, I, he's going to play. I had a big old bruise on my side of my head. I had it, it was hilarious. And then I ended up playing. I ended up getting time. I uh, played wow. every game and got an interception. And, it just, you know, it was fun. But, you know, I can't imagine – how bad I would have been if I'd have continued to play. Mm. So, so God led you in the direction then of baseball, right? College baseball here at Ferrum, and still to this day, um, you have a record of striking out 19.1 batters per nine during one year in college. You also had an outing in which you struck out 19 in a no hitter. You finished three year career with 17 and three record, 1.63 ERA. You're inducted into the National College Baseball Hall of Fame in 2019. I mean, those are video game-like numbers, Coach. That just does not happen. So my question is, what type of work ethic does something like that take? Because there's that old quote that says, you know, it takes years to become an overnight success, what the quote says. But looking back, what were you doing as a kid, high schooler, collegiate athlete, to separate yourself from the rest of the pack? Well, when you're a late bloomer, you're automatically – built with that instinctive. I've got to work harder and prove everybody wrong. Uh, so size, size always played uh, a help, a helpful, um, you know, motivator. Right. And so uh, I always had to prove myself. I mean, when I, when I was going to, to, to Farron to play uh, baseball, mm-hmm. my, my cousin who was already uh, all conference played third base. Uh, he told me, he goes, Oh, you're probably not going to get much time. You're probably not going to play. And I mean, I was throwing, you know, they're saying low 80s. I was throwing like 82. I, yeah. I mean, I was a lefty, you know, coming out of high school, 5'7", five, 5'8", five, yeah. 135 pounds. So, you know, it wasn't like I was going to go out there. You know, there was not a lot of ex- uh, expectations. Right. But all those numbers in high school uh, were built on uh, effectively wild. Hmm. Two behind you, one on the corner. <laughs> I mean, I didn't throw curveballs. I didn't know how. I mean, it was really that type of baseball. Right. Knew how to compete. My high school coach was just tremendous leader because he was a, his faith 
didn't didn't allow him to get him he was emotional for each kid and so mm-hmm. his emotions were always on a positive side and so he allowed me to grow and i mean it was it was very difficult to watch me pitch i mean i mean it was you know throw one at you know i, I mean it, throw one to the backstop you know each inning was you know or two was not you know <laughs> unusual so but he gave me the gift of saying, hey, I'm going to allow you to grow hmm. and not worry about winning. And so his trust and faith in me allowed me to have faith in myself to grow. And so hmm. I was able to go out there and, and take my beatings, but also learn how to pitch. And so when I got to Ferrum, you know, the good thing is there was no pitching regulations. So you didn't have to worry about pitch counts. You right. didn't have to worry about two days off. You didn't have to worry about those things. <laughs> and so for me to throw 150, 170 pitches – uh, a game hmm. and then and then close the next two games that was absolutely not even nobody even thought that was different and and i for i never had a swarm it was just hey let's just this is what you do and so uh but you know coach dave davis who was the defensive back coach for Farum, hmm. came and watched like one or two of my first outings at Farum, and he put it after one of the games he put his arm around me walked me to the clubhouse and said um or locker room and said, Hey, I just want to let you know that I appreciate everything you did, but you're not going to play football. Hmm. You're not going to the NFL. These things are not going to happen. He goes, but I would like for you to, he goes, I really want you to stick with baseball. And Hmm. he goes, now, if you decide you want to come out for football, he goes, you'll never hit, but I'll run you to death. He goes, I'll (laughs) run. You'll be in the best shape of your life. But once again, I don't know how, if you, if you notice, everything seems to be God always put somebody in my path hmm. to kind of kick me in the right path. And so, uh, I mean, even when I wanted to veer off, he always had somebody there uh, to kind of kick me in that right path. My high school coach, my college uh, football coach, my all my friends, uh, they, they always kind of found a way to put me where I needed to be. You know, so I ended up playing baseball, and that's when, when everything kind of changed for me, when I bought into the go. And Coach Abe Naff was huge for me. He – even my freshman year, I mean, I go out there and, I mean, our my freshman team had something like seven guys that got drafted off that team. Wow. And, I mean, I had a shortstop that was uh, Eric Owens who went to Cincinnati Reds. We played against each other in pro yeah. ball, I mean, uh, in the big leagues. And so it was kind of unique to have that fabric of a team. But his what he did so well was motivate. I wouldn't say he taught me how to pitch. Nobody. They was just kind of go, hey, go do this. and. Right and get that guy out. It doesn't matter. And so that was sort of, you know, my education to, uh, to college and, and learning. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what I love that you're saying is that competitive atmosphere that people have created around you, but that you bought into. I love that you said that you got to buy in somebody who's built different, especially as an athlete, you have to buy into the culture, to the system and to yourself to really push through any obstacle that may be coming your way. And thankfully, like you said, God placed people in your life who have helped you along the way. You then get drafted, the 1993 MLB draft by the Houston Astros. They take you with their first pick. Uh, you go on to make your debut two years later. You struck out an Astros relief record, 106 batters in 97. You make seven all-star teams. You're one of only six major league relief pitchers to accumulate at least 400 career saves. Your weaker arm. Your left arm is now topping out 100 mile an hour. You got guys like Chipper Jones saying they're scared to get in the box against you. You got guys like Randy Johnson who's saying he's a foot shorter than me and he throws harder than I do. I mean, coach, come on. A kid from the middle of nowhere, Virginia, throwing with his opposite hand, gets taken early in the draft, has an unbelievable career. What was at the heart of all of it? Um. I think the heart of that, I think it's really cool that you, you you bring it to that perspective because I think at the very core of all that is acceptance hmm. and you want to be accepted. And hmm. I think God put that, put me in a situation to be uh, throwing left-handed and creating that platform to, to get to where I'm at today. Hmm. Uh, not the finished product of today, but today to be able to talk to the high school kid, to have the conversation with these kids that go through so much each and every day with this pandemic, uh, you know, yeah. everything that's been taken away from them to be able to kind of give them that resiliency, that work ethic to talk about determination and, and really not giving up on your yourself or your goals. And I mean, you know, I, as a as a young guy and as a immature, uh, physically immature, mentally immature kid growing up, 
you know, er, how many people told me you'll net, you know, I mean, they didn't even put it into perspective. Like there's no chance you'll be in pro ball. No, don't even think about pro ball. Cause mm. that really wasn't something that we thought about in high school. It wasn't like, I'm going to go play pro ball. It was something that we just, you know, we watched on TV. I mean, I wanted to be uh, Ricky Henderson. I wanted yeah. to be Nolan Ryan. I wanted to be Dale Murphy. I wanted to be all these guys, but you know, to say, Oh, I'm going to play and I'm going to know, and I'm going to, but they, you know, there's a point where, you know, you start, you go, you know, I'm, I'm going to buy in. I'm going to sell out. I'm, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to buy. And I mean, my freshman year in college, I went out and set the freshman record for strikeouts per nine innings or something. And my aunt goes, Hey, what do you think about going in the military? Mm. I mean, that was her thought. I mean, cause yeah. there was no pro ball thought like that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to give this whole baseball thing one more year. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and that, that year I blow up and I go to the Cape Cod league and, um, you know, I, I think uh, I get the best pro prospect. All of a sudden, some doors start opening. But, I mean, you know, for every door that was a window that was opening, there was always that that subtle person there to kind of say, hey, I, you know, I don't, I don't think you got it. I don't think it's possible. But, it, you know, that, again, was where, you know, my friends and a couple people were sitting there going, no, 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 you got this. You right. got this. Just stay, stay the path, stay the course. Don't, don't get too. And, I mean, there was some, for all the success, there was enough failure to create that work ethic of you're never good enough. And so my first start my junior year, I mean, I'm highly touted. I'm supposed to be this dude of dudes. And I play, we go down to Jacksonville and we play St. Bonaventure. And the year before I'd thrown a one hitter against them. I mean, but now there's expectations. Yeah. So I go to pitch against uh, St. Bonaventure and I mean, I walk, I think I pitched an inning in two thirds or two and two thirds. I, I threw, I walked. 14 guys, 13 guys. I mean, whether it was a strike or a ball, you know, it, it just wasn't my day. Right. And I mean, I had the worst. Day. There was hundreds of scouts there. Radar guns. I'd never seen really radar radar guns. I mean, it was all this. I was terrible. Hmm. And I remember after that game, we lost bad. And I mean, I'm just crushed. I'm thinking, oh, no way. You know, because now everybody's saying you're going to get drafted. And so now I'm crushed. I'm like, oh, my hmm. God, awful. So after the game, I mean, I'm running poles. And, and anybody that has understood what poles are for, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to run that pole. And that day happened to be the greatest day that cha- really changed my opinion of what who I was going to be. I couldn't roll out there and just show up. That's right. Um, and so I took this beating, and I mean, I took it, and it was so embarrassing. And so I remember running and running and running and running. I ran forever. I mean, my team's waiting on me at the bus, and I'm still running. Mm. And uh, these two scouts come up. One was from Chicago. One was from another, I can't, organization. They go, that's the best thing that will ever happen to you. He goes, that is the best thing. And, it, and he, he, they were like, it wasn't all your fault. You know, calls could have went this way. But it was the best thing that happened because now then the rest of your year will be about who you really are. Mm. And so two days later, we're playing Lynchburg. We're playing Lynchburg down down in uh, Jacksonville. And uh, – they kind of slipped me in. There's maybe a scout here or there. They slipped me in. All of a sudden, I punch out the side, come in. You know, all of a sudden, coach goes, glad to see you're back. Glad to see that you're back. Where you... And it wasn't physical. It was a mental thing. Glad That's to right. see you back, that you're about the team. Mm. And that was the best, best lesson because now when I've got kids that are drafted or in that draft discussion and they get all nervous and they're worked up about, you know, they're talking about advisors and all this money and stuff – it's so easy to go, well, if you just play for your team and you mm. worry about the moment that you're playing, things work out so much better. You stop worrying about yourself. And so that was, once again, one of those things that God threw in my path to create this situation that I'm in today. So, you know, that was uh, that was that determination to to have that acceptance of my teammates to, to, to go on and do those things. But then, you know, it worked into to pro ball, and I mean – you're, you get in there and you're facing Barry Bonds and you're facing these guys that you've watched on TV and you've seen how awesome they are. And now you're competing against these guys. And Crazy. Yeah, it, it, it puts it into perspective. I mean, I remember standing on the mound and I'm looking around and, and I'm, I'm kind of soaking it in, not going, man, look, I've made it, but I'm soaking it going, man, I, I've watched these guys all my life. Right, almost so, starstruck. Yeah, and so, and you know, it was, it was, it was a pretty cool moment, but it was one of those moments that – you know, I wanted Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio to oh, accept yeah. me. And I want, hey, I'm a dude. You, I'm a That's dude. Right. So, you know, mm. uh, 
there was a game where uh, in '96, uh, I come in, Bagwell and Biggio make an error. Uh, I walk a guy. Uh, I've got one out. Base is loaded. Barry Bonds, Matt Williams are coming to the plate. Hmm. My one of my close friends, Randy Nor, walks walks out. He was catching me. Walks up and goes, "Hey, man." Hey, let's just throw six fastballs and take it to the house. <laughs> like they were just regular Joes. Right. <laughs> and so I walk in, I, I go up there and, you know, naive, kind of like not even thinking about what could happen or the bad, the good. Or it was just, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. And I end up throwing six pitches and striking out uh, Barry and uh, Matt, you know, and that was this, the tone. That was that acceptance. Like, Hey, he didn't buckle under the pressure. He, he, he weathered a storm. He picked up his teammates. And so, that was that acceptance point that our my team was like, oh, he 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 can be a dude. And then once you continue to to and and do well, and even when you do you don't you're not successful, you know, they see you as being uh humble. And when you win, you're humble. And when you mm-hmm. when just everything's always that uh trying to be even kill. I think that was the part that I was working for. And so, you know, but it was the center of the course to be accepted. And so yeah, and I mean, even when you're going through the Hall of Fame stuff, it's all about the acceptance and 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 being humble and you know not uh, felt like you you earned something. You're just trying to be respected, right? And acceptance, even the piece that you just you honed in on there when you were talking about acceptance of failure and realizing that people that are built different don't view failure as like just setbacks. They actually view it as opportunity, right? To get better, to learn something. And obviously you learn something from your failure. Like those scouts said, it's the best thing that's going to happen to you because you learn how to turn, I would say, what looked like a beating into a hunger and a desire to not let that happen again. You're going to outwork everybody and everything and your story. So I looked through an interview that you did with MLB.com actually, and there was a doctor by the name of Eugene Charles, New York City kinesiologist, and he was asked this question. Do we all have the ability to do what Billy Wagner did? And his response was this. Everyone can do it, but very, very, very few will. Billy, Where Billy deserves all the credit is that he had the discipline and the determination to do it. That's the caveat. You have to have this discipline and persistence, which is the X factor. Coach, you know, as the higher you go, the skill gap closes. Yogi Berra gave one of his yogiisms, which says baseball is 90% mental, the other half is physical, right? Coach, to do something like you did, um, you got to be extremely mentally tough. You got to have that mental preparation that separates you from the rest of the pack, what does mental preparation and mental toughness look like in your terms? Wow. Uh, it's funny because for every game I played in, in pro ball, I had self-doubt. Hmm. I doubted my ability to to win, to uh, compete at times. I, I remember every game, about every game I ever closed, I threw up before I pitched. Hmm. I mean, I understand that, that. <laughs> there's that, you know, it's, there's that nervous anxiety of fear of failure. It either motivates you or it, you know, those are the, you know, flight or uh, fight or flight. Yeah. The mental, the mental part for me was goes back on that fear of failure yeah. uh, acceptance and to be able to have what I wanted to have all those things, I was going to have to fight through my anxieties and my mm-hmm. fear of, of, of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you're sitting in the bullpen and there's guys around you like Brad Lidge, Octavia Dotel, Mike Williams, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Mike Jackson, uh, Flash Gordon, those guys, and they're sitting there and they, they look to you. Yeah. You're their closer. Now they'd been closers. They look to you. I mean, how you carry yourself, um, you know, that, you know, and it wasn't when you got your save. It's not going out there and punching out the save that made you mentally tough. Right. It was going out there and having that moment where it looks like it's unraveling, mm. and you you find a way to 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 get it when you're you're not at a hundred percent. You know, you're pitching at eighty percent, and you've mm. got your B and C stuff. Uh, so, um, you know, those are the things that is the mental thing. And then having that moment where you just feel terrible and you roll out there day after day and, and, and you're going to compete yeah. and you're and competing is the mental side competing, not, not just showing up, but the competing I, I'm at 80%, but 
you're not going to beat me. That mental side to say, I'm, you know, you're not going to fail. Uh, those are the tough. And I mean, that's where you look at the really the strong players, the players that, I mean, they were all gifted. Mm. And I always go back to a buddy of mine, Trevor Hoffman, who I could not have pitched with his stuff. Right. I could not have competed with his stuff. And I, I, I never want it to sound like I'm, you know, slighting him any because he is, he was such a dude. I mean, I've never seen guys get so worked up about facing Trevor. And I mean, right. he couldn't blow you away. Right. He couldn't, he couldn't do what I could do. Mm. And so I remember watching guys just, you know, as soon as they got to leave, I mean, you just see the face, it's over. I'm done. And I mean, it was over a changeup and then about an 85, 86 mile hour fastball. And they were just beat. I mean, <laughs> you know, winning is not your mental challenge. That's right. The, the, it's being out there every day with the same humility and competitive nature without making it any more or any less or having to pitch with a hundred percent ability or 80%. And one of the greatest things that ever was told to me was I tore my flexor tendon in uh, 2000 and I, I was struggling on how to handle that. And, um, uh, Mike Maddox, Greg Maddox's brother, yeah. and I were playing in Houston. And he looked at me and he goes, you know, your 80% is as good as our 100%. Mm. And I'm like, you know, I don't, I'm not thinking, I'm immature. He's, he's, you know, 48, nine years old. I'm yeah. 35, I'm, you know, I'm, or I'm 30. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I mean, my career, all that. And he's like, you're fine. But he put it in perspective that, you know, how good I was mm. and could be, but it was a mental it was the mental challenge to go do it. Could you do it without feeling that you had to be invincible? Mm. And so, you know, that again was another person putting put in my path to say, hey, you know what? You <laughs> you're you're better than you're giving yourself credit for. And That's it right. took a long time to understand what all these things were happening. But that mental part will always be the biggest adversary to any athlete because right. as great as you are is as many times as you, you know, talked about blowing a save, missing the shot, mm -hmm. you know, fumbling, all these things, they, they come into perspective. But, you know, that inner belief of, of who you are is the first thing that will make you a more mental stability or a stronger guy. That's right. You always got to bounce back. And that's resiliency. That mental piece, the separation is in the preparation. And I feel like that's where your confidence is found, too. If you're preparing the right way, man, you're going to be more confident no matter what playing field, even in life in general. And coach, I want to take a take a step away from the game now. You ended up retiring in 2010, the age of 38, put together one of your greatest seasons ever, right? 37 saves, 1.43 ERA, 13.5 Ks per nine. Probably could have played more, but your desire shifted to spending more time with your wife and your kids and coaching. Um, Coach, I kind of want to make this uh, a, a double-edged question in a sense, talking about family and faith and how both of those have played such an integral role in your life now especially. Um, you got to coach your sons. I mean, you're spending more time with your family. How is your relationship with them and also your relationship with Christ used in a sense as an advantage here on earth, realizing that you, Coach, were made for so much more than just a game? Well, wow, that's a deep question. Um well, first of all, retiring was a – I wanted to be with my family. Uh, yeah. it, the game becomes very self-centered, and you become a very self-centered person. And when I went to the Braves, I'd had a lot of friends through the league, but uh, one of our kind of chaplains, uh, Tim Cash, um, had he'd, – he'd always been an influence. I'd known him since I really started. And once again, that was God putting this guy in my path, and it seemed like – about every two or three years, he would pop into my life and go, hey, you know what? Hey, you need to – this is something you need to work on or something. And so we continuously worked on this process. And um, so my I go into my last year – I have a two-year contract. I, and so I'm, I go through spring training. Kids are at school. They're, yeah. they're back in Virginia. Um, so I'm not seeing them very often, you know. And I, I, this is 16 years in. I'm thinking, man, you know what? I mean, what – you know. I don't need this to prove my worth anymore. Right. And that's the biggest thing as a, uh, as, a as an athlete or as a, uh, I guess a, to try to be humble, knowing yeah. that you're not, that numbers aren't going to be, shouldn't dictate who you are as mm -hmm. a person. And so, 
you know, so I go and tell Bobby Cox I'm going to retire, mm. saying just me and him. We're sitting there. I go, hey, Bob, I just want to let you know I'm going to retire. You know, I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to get through the season. And, you know, I don't even know what the season's going to bring. This is open. This is like right before opening day. And he's laughing at me. He goes out and tells, tells everybody, hey, he's retiring, you know. And it kind of said it tongue in cheek. And, and so nobody really believed it. Yeah. And so I go out and I'm, um, you know, I have one of my best seasons. Yeah. I mean, it was one of my best seasons, but it was probably my most enjoyable season. Hmm. And so uh, because I finally was able to enjoy what I was doing because, you know, it, it wasn't about numbers. I'd given up on worrying about who who accepted me and who didn't. I, I finally, you know, I'm going home to what really matters. And so Will and Jeremy and Libby and Case and, uh, you know, when I retired, you know, it really, you know, was just I'm going to hang out with them and just kind of you know, be dad and, and yeah. enjoy their life. Be quit being it being centered around man. So I, I retire. Um, it's about six months. I'm kind of hanging out. No big deal. And I'd been I, in the off season. I'd coached uh little league and, yeah. and, and coached some of these things. And uh, I had this parent come up to me from the high school and say, Hey, you know, this coach is, you know, we're not happy with this coach. This coach has done this. And, and so I go up there just kind of, I didn't even, I live, 10 minutes from Miller and, and for, and I'd lived near Miller for the last almost 10 years. Right. So I, I go, all right, well, I'll drive up there and see what's going on. So I drive up there and I, I talk to the athletic director and I go, Hey, you know, I hear these things are going on, you know, you know, I've coached these kids, blah, 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 blah. And the guy goes, well, do you think you can do any better? And I was like, well, absolutely. He goes, well, you got the job. I'm like, what? Oh, wait, 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 what? I, and I mean, it was that quick. I said, whoa, 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 I'm not, I can't jump into this. I'm, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm an all or nothing guy. I said, you know, I'm not a, I can't go in there and just kind of halfway go through the program and be, I'm not an accepting person for average. I said, look at me. So I said, we're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to do it my way and we're going to do it this way. And so that's when I started, I go, I come back home and I go, honey, because uh, I told my wife that Sarah, that I was going to, when I retire, take about a year, kind of relax and just yeah. kind of be a, be husband, figure out what being a dad was like. Right. <laughs> Six months later, hey, honey, I got a job. And she's like, right. and I'm like, it won't be, it won't, I won't be gone very long. I'm not, it's not <laughs> a big deal. You know, 10 years later, I'm like, honey, I'm, I'm getting home. I'm leaving at one, getting home at eight. You know, she's, she's like, not going to be gone long. And so, but, you know, um, and thank God for her because she's been very accepting of, of all that I've put her through with uh, this whole up and down baseball. Baseball is a very grinding oh, yeah. mental uh, agony for, for the spouses as well because mm. they live and die on every single pitch and swing. So they are as – it is as tough for her through They're my invested. Career. Oh, my gosh, yes. So, you know, she, she had many sleepless nights with me being out pitching and, and I'm pitching on the West Coast, so bless her. But uh, so, I you know, I come back, I'm, I'm coaching, and I go, you know, our varsity coach, they didn't have a JV. And so I said, I really want to start a JV before we start working on varsity and yeah. stuff like that. And our, our head coach, the varsity coach, has had some health issues, and so – Sammy, who was the varsity coach, had gotten sick and he was having some uh, physical issues. I took over the the varsity with uh, John Llewellyn. And so we started changing the culture, trying to change the culture, what it's, what it's about. And I mean, when you when you you come from a small when it's a small school, you have you have to, you know, not a lot of these kids who came to Miller were used to winning. They didn't know what winning was about. And you know, there's so many versions of winning. Is it? winning because you're achieving something you didn't, or is it winning on the scoreboard or numbers or whatever? And so creating the culture of work ethic and uh, a process began was the biggest goal. Now I'm, I'm dealing my first JV team. I'm dealing with, you know, I mean, some of the kids have never played. Mm. Uh, I mean, I had kids from Vietnam who, yeah. and this is how good a coach I am. I played the whole season with this kid who was, who we thought was right-handed ended up the last day of practice. He's throwing left-handed and he told me, he goes, coach, I didn't know I could throw left-handed because I thought it was wrong. I said, well, your coach is left-handed. What what happened here? Well, the kid ends up going to MIT, but I'm sitting here. Do you get that? So 
I get through this and I, we start this, the varsity JV. And so my first host in is varsity JV coach. I've got, I think I've got 15 kids. Yeah. We play varsity. So I've got eighth graders playing varsity. So we'll go play varsity and take the beatings of our life. Then we go play uh, JV and beat the heck out of everybody else. But I only had two upperclassmen. I had Mike Daly, who uh, was a sophomore. Yeah. And Cody Rose, who was a junior who catcher. And so I really had a very small and, – and so I only had a small team, but everybody else was eighth graders. Right. I mean, I had no ninth graders, just eighth graders. And so – that's when we, that, that's when everything started. And I just said, you know, and so we started putting in, you know, to practice our, our faith, you know, the process of, you know, our building. I mean, at the time, Will Wagner, I mean, goodness sakes, he was <laughs> great. He was like I, four foot, <laughs> nothing. I mean, 80 pounds and nothing. And I mean, and so he started second base. Yeah, I remember. He, and he couldn't, he probably couldn't move five feet in any direction fast. He's wearing size 14s with, he was, it was just, you felt awful. Bat get knocked out of his hand, but he competed. He learned how to compete. So that was, but like a Mike Daly hmm. was a huge role model for our team. And, yeah. you know, to this day, I always say what made our program become a program was Mike Daly and Cody Rose bought in on this process. And so the process led. And so, they knew that there was going to, it might be a lean. It might be that lean times. And all of a sudden, um, you know, so he's, he's helping Will Wagner. And I mean, I mean, all these things, they're, they're mentoring these kids. And so luckily by Mike's senior year, we end up getting to the state playoffs and we get just crushed 11 to one. But I mean, it was like our first, like, this is what it's about. And so, so Mike's senior year, He's pitching in, in the state playoffs. He's pitching in the, the um, I think it was a state championship. Yeah. Or, and, and, you know, we lost. I think we lost our first three chances at the st- at state title, which was probably hard. It was hard for the kids, but it was one of those things. It was the, you want to be hungry? Yeah. Go lose. Go lose in those games. And so they figured it out. And then all of a sudden, you know, uh, Will Wagner finally started to grow. Uh, Tanner Moore shows up. Uh, Adam Hackenberg, uh, Ethan Murray. I mean, in 2017, we, I, I don't know if I, I, it's probably my best coaching because I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> I, had, I had five division one players yeah. in the infield and um, uh, I just didn't do, I just go play guys. Right. And so really it was, that was my first, you know, th- but that was that buy into the process, understand the importance. And, and, you know, we had a lot of times where we spoke through that process before we even got to, to baseball about the process of commitment, acceptance, um, even our faith. We, we would have uh, guys read Bible verses mm. because they needed to know that there was more to this right. than themselves. And that's the hardest thing about being an athlete is getting outside of yourself mm. to understand that the importance of everybody else, because, you know, my college coach, Chris Holt, teammate, second base, his nickname was Concrete. Hmm. He could hit, but when you get the nickname Concrete, you get the point. Yeah. And our shortstop was Eric Owens, who was an All-American, just a dude, and fly by the pants, get away with everything, This that type of guy. And he was always, like, Crete would always say something about, why, why does he get away with this, nobody else? And, you know, how's this happening? And our coach said something that, Chris told me years later that changed his life. He goes, you know, when you learn how to be happy for others, Mm. you will learn the joy of the game and then they will be happy for you. Mm. And so that, you know, for a long time hearing that, I use that all the time with our guys because, you know, they become very selfish. Kids are selfish. It's all about them at this age. And so we talk a lot about our faith in others and how can we be, better servants to them than to just ourselves, And, and so, you know, you know, when they, they asked me about my faith and how I handled situations, hmm. you know, I, going into, uh, to games, you know, I'm staying behind the mound. I'm, I'll never forget going behind the mound. I'd pray every game and, and I'm praying every game. And 
finally Bagwell walked up and goes, you know, God don't care who wins or loses. I said, you're absolutely right. I said, I said, you know why I pray? I pray to be his light and to be his to so that I can go out there and do the best I can and glorify him. I said, I don't go out there and pray to win. I said, short-sighted people are praying about winning. I said, so I said, I'm not perfect. I said, a Christian prays because he knows that he is short. That's right. The guy that's not is the uh, guy who thinks he's got this thing handled. And I said, so I said, I have nothing handled. And so I explained that to the kids and I, and I tell them, I said, you know what? You'll always have, your faith will be your strongest guide in the toughest moments. It won't be who you are. You can't handle what, what's going to come on. You need help. And so I use baseball as faith, but it's kind of rude. You know, it's not, it's not verse by verse and things like that, but it, we, we create that mindset of the process of others rather than ourselves so that we can see that, you know, what's really important at the end of the day, what is really important, your friends, your friends down the road will be, you know, you won't have a ton of friends. You'll have acquaintances and then you'll have those friends. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, you know, I try to do those things. That's right. And I can tell, you know, I, I could tell immediately after I started playing um, for LCA that you came in and you truly did change the culture. And like you're talking about your faith and you're talking about these leaders that came in. I mean, I think of the greatest leader of all time, right? Jesus, who came to this earth and he came to serve. And that's what you're talking about, buying into the process of getting outside of yourself and buying into other people to help the team actually culminate, come together and become something great. It's not about you, but it's about the team and as all together. I, I have a quick story that I want to share with you. When you came to Miller, I'll never forget, you were suited up in your uniform across the way. I was a huge fan of you um, growing up. And all of a sudden, you're standing across in the opposite dugout, like feet from me, right? So I'm starstruck. I think I was pitching against you guys that day. And Quade Tomlin, Randy's youngest son, little guy at the time, I said, hey, Quade, take this baseball over and get it autographed for Billy. Tell him it's for you, but can you give it back to me after the game? And I had Quade get, so I have an autographed baseball from you. It's dirty as can be. It came from, like, the bottom of the bucket, but it's autographed by you, framed in my room, so I just had to stay that. But, Coach, yeah, hilarious story. That's so awesome. (laughs) But before we go, Coach, um, I just want to end it like this. Um, you're coaching at Miller now, like you said. You're investing in the lives of all these people. What's your message to your players? What's your message to the young athletes, the parents, the coaches, anyone listening? What's your final word to us all as we want to go out and live a built different life? Trust the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if there's, you know, I mean, I think as a Christian, I struggle with everything as much as anybody else. Uh, I think what I try to do and I do, I'm not always successful because as a coach athlete, uh, we do compromise ourselves sometimes with two others with uh, what we have going on. So take a moment to see who you are mm. so that you can be more or a better person to others. Uh, understand baseball is a great sport, but understand that it, it's about, it goes by so quick mm-hmm. that that sport shouldn't define who you are, right. the person that you are and how you treat others, the respect that you give others and, and should be what people see more than they see in your numbers. Uh, and I, I really think the greatest compliment an athlete can get is the respect and saying he was a good teammate. Hmm. I don't think being a good player is, is qualifies you as much. I think being a good person is, is a, a a huge ordeal uh, for parents, for kids. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy that that grind, but you know, don't take it so serious. This is not the, the end all. God oh, yeah. has a plan for us all, and He will, you know. And I bought into God's plan when I was twelve years old and got baptized in a in a river. Yeah, uh, I know that He has the hand on on me, and that when I start to fix things myself. I, I go all wrong, but when I turn everything over to him, I seem to 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 be amazed quite often that you know that I even tried to do something on my own. But so I think putting my faith in the right people and, mm-hmm. and trusting in the process is uh, 
the message that I would like people to try. But it's it's hard. It's a hard, it a hard path. It is hard. But like you're saying, Coach, um, in all walks of life, spiritually, relationally, physically, mentally, not only trust the process, but buy into the process. Coach Billy Wagner, we appreciate you. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Zach, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Wow, I mean, what a powerful testimony just to hear from Mr. Billy, to hear about not only all of the different things, but all of the different people that played such an integral role in him becoming not only the baseball player, but the man that he is today. I tell you what, what it reminded me of was just that scene in Rocky, right? When Rocky gets knocked to the canvas, gets knocked to the bottom of the ring, and he's laying there. And as he's laying there, all these snippets of pictures of previous movie scenes, right, of his life start flooding into his mind, and the music starts intensifying and picking up, and you hear the bell ringing. And when he's laying there, he's remembering his why, He's remembering why he does what he does because it drives him and it motivates him to then stand back up and stay in the fight. And that's what I think of when I hear of Billy's story, when when life and hard times came into Billy's life, when it comes to the broken arm as a young kid, when it came to, you know, he probably thought he would never have a shot at playing baseball. He never gave up. And that's what the theme, I believe, of this interview and this entire episode is today is. Even when life makes you think you're out of it, or even when life makes you think, you know, as the referee's standing over you counting seven, eight, nine, you can still stand up. And I challenge you, don't you dare give up on yourself, and don't you dare give up on the other people that are surrounding you and the relationships that God has placed in your life, because they're there for a reason. Keep pressing into those relationships and keep pressing into your relationship first and foremost with the Lord during this time. You can and you will make it through, my friend. Guys, making a quick transition here into our house call segment as my dad, Dr. Tim Clinton, will be joining us and answering a question from one of you coming up right after this short break. We'll be right back with more after this. Imagine joining thousands of men, fathers, sons, and Christ followers coming together to worship God and learn more about the life of true adventure God intends for us. Hi, this is Jessica, producer for the Built Different podcast with Zach Clinton. I'm here to tell you that Ignite Men's Impact Weekend is coming August 13th and 14th at Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Scheduled speakers include baseball legend, author, and speaker, Daryl Strawberry, internationally claimed speaker, Rick Rigsby, author, pastor, and speaker, Ted Cunningham, president of the American Association of Christian Counselors, Dr. Tim Clinton, as well as Zach Clinton, host of the Built Different podcast, and so many more soon to be announced. Also, you can experience the Extreme Outdoor Expo and Kids Zone, two dozen workshops with the stuff guys love, from fishing, hunting, football, and more. There are very limited spots available, and this will sell out soon. Register now for extra savings until June 18th at ignitemen.net. That's ignitemen.net. Welcome back to the Built Different Podcast. It's time for a house call. This segment features professional counselors in our circle answering one of your questions. Hey, everyone. This is Dr. Tim Clinton for House Call on this edition of the Built Different Podcast. What separates, Dr. Tim, the good from the great? Well, I, first of all, love the work ethic issue. Michael Jordan said it this way, if you put in the work, probably good things are going to happen. Couldn't agree more. But let me share something with you that I've learned through the years that I think really begins to separate everyone. And that's simply this. Listen to this modern-day definition of the word tragedy. The modern-day definition of the word tragedy is being successful in the things that don't really matter. Now, how does that relate to what separates good from great? Well, it's a matter of focus. It's a matter of locking in. What matters? Distractions. In other words, getting caught up in stuff that doesn't matter or getting off on tangents when you should be putting in the work. That's the stuff that begins to 
dilute, to take away from the ability to perform and be where you need to be. Once you know your priorities, once you know what really matters and what you want to accomplish, then the second thing I've learned is showing up. In other words, get up, get organized, execute. And the best ones do this. They have the right people around them to hold them accountable and hear this and encourage them to do the good work. You've got to have someone in your life to mentor or coach you. When you do, by the way, we call that people fuel. It gives life. And I think the results speak for themselves. This is Dr. Tim for this edition of House Call on the Built Different Podcast. Hey, everybody. To find out more about my dad, Dr. Tim Clinton, you can visit his website at timclinton.com. Again, that's timclinton.com. As always, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Built Different Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Built Different Podcast with Zach Clinton. As we close today, we want to remind you about the upcoming Waymaker World Conference. This world premier Christian counseling event will be held in Orlando, Florida, September 15th through September 18th. Over the last 14 years, the World Conference has sold out with nearly 7,000 counselors, coaches, pastors, chaplains, and more, representing all 50 states and over 40 countries. To find out more, go to worldconference.net. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Be sure to join us next time for another edition of the Built Different Podcast with Zach Clinton. Hi there, this is Jessica from the Built Different Podcast team. As a reminder, you can listen to this show on your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Stitcher. Whatever platform you choose, please remember to subscribe to the Built Different Podcast with Zach Clinton. Also, if you happen to catch the show on Apple Podcast, please leave us a review. Thanks again for tuning in to the Built Different Podcast.